Welcome back to Tokyo on Fire. In this segment, we're just going to address news items that have hit our radar over the last several days. This is a new segment that we've crafted into Tokyo on Fire based on recommendations we received from you. Michael, what's going on in your world? I'm going to probably go way in too far into inside baseball. But what was really shocking or, or striking to me was the death on Monday of former speaker Machimura. Right. Um, Machimura was the head of the Machimura faction, which is, was Abe's faction and is Abe's faction inside the uh, LDP. Largest faction? Largest the faction, the, the, uh, the, uh, Sewa, the Sewa Kai. And uh, he is, his death uh, basically eliminates from the scene the last basic holdout to Abe as the ultimate leader of the party. Mm -hmm. Machimura did challenge Abe in 2012. This was a very bizarre situation where the head of the faction was taking on one of his junior members in that group presidency run that happened. He lost in the first round and was, was knocked out. And basically, as compared to the others who ran against Abe, got nothing. Mm -hmm. Others got ministerial posts or secretary general post of, of in the case of Ishiba. Machimura, in this last round setting up the, the, new, uh, the new cabinet, got the speaker's role. Mm -hmm. And he held it for a very short time. Illness brought him down. And this last Monday, he, he finally had a stroke and died. Uh, he was, for a long time, seen as both a moderate and a strong conservative in the government who could somehow bridge the gaps between what is the DPJ and the LDP uh, while still having rock-ribbed rock conservative uh, bona fides. Now mm -hmm. we have a, a more polarized situation and a lot of people were looking on his death this week and thinking how much Japan had lost. What a strange thing, Japanese politics, because understanding Japanese politics requires that you understand what's going on in the factions. And the factions are what make up the wider LDP. And the interesting thing about this comment with the Machimura faction is that this is the faction from where the current prime minister came. So he, when, when the prime minister is elected prime minister, he becomes the head of the LDP. He must relinquish his, his leadership over the, the faction, and that passed over to Machimura. Machimura was the faction leader. And, and Abe, Abe's father, was at one time the head of the faction. Mm -hmm. And at some point sure. in the future, when he was, had a little bit more seasoning, he, mean, was, to be... he was going to take mm -hmm. over the faction. It was originally established way back in the 1970s uh, by Fukuda, the, Fuku, uh, the first Fukuda, not his son who became right. prime minister, but the first prime minister Fukuda. And, all, and it, it ultimately makes its way back to, to Kishi, Mm -hmm. Abe's grandfather. So same faction, same faction, and same lineages, handing it down. Mm -hmm. uh, Machimura was an outsider, and uh, ran the faction for a long time. But traditionally, doesn't the faction head become the candidate for prime minister? Yes, and in this case, Machimura was passed over, right. and uh, a lot of people wondered about that. He was at one point foreign minister and was a very, very well respected and and, and a very effective foreign minister, but. He never got the brass mm -hmm. ring. Yeah, he was a, uh, a real heavyweight in LDP politics, and his, his absence will be noted. Yeah. Mm. What about you, on your side? What, what, what in the news has gotten your attention? Well, there attention? are a couple of things that, um, that I'm watching very carefully. One is that the lower house passed the resolution on lowering the voting age. 
And this is a big deal because Abe is still driven to receive two-thirds of the referendum vote on changing the Constitution. It's coming up in a couple of years when the upper house election comes up. This will be next year. Mm -hmm. So reducing the age of people who will vote is supposedly going to increase the number of potential voters. And this impacts how they market, how they appeal to voters. And so there's a lot of changes going on within all of the political parties on how we appeal to the younger people. Most of the people are really apathetic about politics. They're now publishing comic books. This is what politics is like. They're teaching it in the schools. The diet members are going out to um, to speak with younger and younger people, you know, even people in grade school about how politics works. It's, it's, it's something that's really hard for me to understand because if, you know, 18 and 19 year olds vote at the same rate that 20 and 21 year olds or 20, 22 year olds vote, it means only about a third of them are ever going to show up. Mm -hmm. So what's the point? You're going to get a few tens of thousands extra vote. Why mess with things? Mm -hmm. But there was an interesting little sidelight in that in the legislation, when in lowering the voting age, it says that if persons taking part in politics who are 18 years old or 19 years old violate election laws, they will be tried as adults. That was always the question. Is mm -hmm. this really not a way to break down the barrier that currently exists between minors and adults. Right now, the age limit is 20. Right. If you murder someone at, at, and you're 18, 19 years of age, you're tried in a completely different way and you cannot be sentenced to death. Mm -hmm. But now we have a back door into charging minors, what it will still be minors, as mm -hmm. adults. I think it's, I don't, I don't know about um, the impact of lowering the voting age, but it's probably something that's hopefully going to address a change that they see coming down the path. It's hard to say. I don't. I don't see what the advantage is. I'm not sure why. Well, I know why. If you, if you, you we want more voters. We want more voters, and who could be against that? Right. There's no party, even the communists, who are against everything the LDP is mm -hmm. for. Uh, even they can't say, "Well, yeah, young people, they shouldn't have the right to vote." It, it's such an it's, easy it's, one right. for everybody to get on board. Okay, shifting gears. The other issue that I'm I'm watching very carefully is the. Um, the other issue that I'm watching very carefully is the attack of, by hackers of the Japan pension system. That is huge. Uh, that was actually just released this last week. The attacks began early um, last month and have kind of, the damage was done and now it's reached the press and now they're talking about what the damage control is. It's very important for Abe. In Abe's first term in office was, came the exposure of the fact that 50 million pension records did not have names on them, mm -hmm. that they did not know who these pensions belonged to. And Abe's prime ministership basically fell on the promises he made to solve that problem mm -hmm. that came out during the beginning of his prime ministership. And then every time he said, we'll get it done in a few months, we'll get this done, we'll do it. We'll do it. And he, every time he had a new deadline and he didn't make the deadline, it absolutely washed away his credibility. This news must have just given him the shivers. He must have given him, this must have seized up his heart. Right. Anyway, it's a big issue. The fact that hackers were able to get in, the... It was dumb. All they had to do was send... A, send was, an the, attachment. Send please an open. attachment. Yeah, so, you know, please open this. 
And the thing is, the bureaucrats who, who did this had actually received warnings, do not open the attachments, you'll be getting emails like this. And they ignored it and still opened the attachments and, and infected the system. Well, you never know, it might be from Nigeria and somebody might have found a bunch of money that had your last name on it. Oh, it's true. Yes. So I've missed so many fortunes. <laughs> what else is on your radar, Michael? I, I'm a big sumo fan and I got to see uh, Chiono Fuji again, mm -hmm. and the great, uh, Last really great Japanese uh, uh, Yokozuna had his uh, 60th birthday celebration. And the guy is still in awesome shape. And you just try to remember, yeah, this was a purely Japanese sport, and this guy was the best that anyone mm -hmm. ever seen. He was and fantastic. And now, now it's, 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 it's basically, a, it's, it's, it's a Mongolian sport. They, mm -hmm. they win all of the titles now. Right. Uh, if, it's, if it's not Asa Shoryu, it's Hakuho, and now we have the new generation coming up. And, they're, and all the big guys, they're all from Mongolia. Well, who was the Ukrainian sportsman who cut his knot uh, just last week? Are you familiar with that? Yeah. Well, yeah. Really good looking, very athletic. What a terrific wrestler. Yeah. He retired. Yeah. The, 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 the sport is internationalized, but when you see the old guys, and, and you still see how incredibly tough looking and, 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 and in shape they are, even after they've lost, God knows, 100 kilos. Right. Um, you say, yeah, maybe that hinkaku, that yes. special glowing thing that they talk about, eh, maybe there's something to it. Yeah. Chiyono Fuji was really great though. Young, good looking, small. He was actually small for a sumo wrestler. Yeah. Very athletic, very agile. He was great to watch. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. The only other issue I'd like to talk about is something that we talked about last week, Michael. Okay. You weren't here. We were talking about freedom of the press. Um, one of the issues that we talked about in the news was the release that about 57 uh, self-defense forces personnel had killed themselves through, through suicide over the last 10 years. And it became something of a flashpoint. We actually did a little bit of research into it and compared that to other statistics without, uh, throughout the Japanese archipelago, what's happening nationally on suicides as compared to what's going on in the United States. And um, the results were not very surprising. Well, it seems as though when you think about the numbers and the numbers of SDF there are, and you're talking about 50 suicides over 10 years, 10 years. Yeah, that's not very different from the national rate right. of, of, of people. And certainly for, for men in their, with uh, weapons uh, experience, this is probably remarkably low. I don't right. know. But it certainly does not stick out entirely. And I'm sure, however, that the Communist Party and everybody else made some kind of comment about how the stresses on the SDF are so great that these men felt it necessary to take their lives or something on that order. Well, when I, when I, first, when I first saw the number, I thought it might have been an annual number. Ah. And um, when you think about collective self-defense for the Japanese to actually go on peacekeeping missions, that sort of thing, that's what they're doing right now. They're mm -hmm. doing refueling, a little bit of minesweeping, but mostly they're doing peacekeeping efforts for for the, the young soldiers to do that and then to fall into a, a sense of suicide um, is what was a big signal for me. But then when I look at it, it's, it's, it's really on par with the national average. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's the way it works out sometimes. That's the way it works out sometimes. Anyway, those are the news items that have been hitting our radar recently. 
Thank you for joining us. Please visit us on YouTube or download our podcast on iTunes. See you next week.